Christ. Um, the most life-changing principle um, I've ever heard is the PATH principle. It's a principle that I heard when I was uh, in high school, college. I went to a conference and I listened to a pastor talk about life, the PATH principle. Um, I like it so much that I got it tattooed on me. That's how much I like it. And here's what the principle says. It says, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. I love Disney World. It's one of my favorite places to go. Um, I, I love the atmosphere. I love the rides. I love the memories that I have when I go there because I remember when I went as a kid. I love taking my kids there. I have the Disney credit card so I can save some money because I know it's going to cost me all of my money and all of my savings and my retirement and my liver in order to go to Disney World. But I love it. I love Disney World. Okay, so um, when I was a kid, we never flew to Disney World. We always drove. It's about a 13-hour drive if you don't stop, but if you stop, it's about 17 hours. We'd always do it, no problem. And so um, we still, as, as a family, will drive to Disney World. Now let's say I want to take my family to Disney World, and I do everything I can to prepare for Disney World. I buy the tickets, and I spend all my money buying it. I schedule out what parks. We're going to Magic Kingdom, then we're going to go to Hollywood, then we're going to do Animal Kingdom and at Epcot the same day because you don't really need one day for each. I, I figure it all out, exactly what we're going to do. I tell the kids, they pack their bags, we load the car, we get our Mickey ears on, and we get in the car, and we start going 95 north. Will we ever make it to Disney World? No. Doesn't matter what my intentions were. It doesn't matter that I bought the ticket. It doesn't matter how much I wanted to get to Disney World. If I don't go the right direction, I'm never going to get there. It's the path principle. That if you don't go the right direction in life, it doesn't matter what you intend. It doesn't matter what you think. If you go down the wrong path, you're never going to get to your desired destination. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Each Sunday for the rest of May, we are looking at a different song. And we are diving deep into it to discover the what and the why behind the song. And the song we're looking at today talks about the path principle in a, in a weird way. When you understand the history of it, it really talks a lot about it. And it's this hymn that we already sung, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Some background on this song. It was written in, nine, in 1757 by Robert Robinson. He was 22 years old at the time. Robert was a rebellious teenager. Um, in fact, um, he was in London and he got into a group of other rebellious criminals. They made a little gang, and all of a sudden, this gang just began to wreak havoc all over London. And then they hear that this evangelist, a guy by the name of George Whitefield, was about to come and preach. So this gang decides, you know, we're going to go to where he's about to preach, and we're just going to heckle him the whole time, and we're just going to run him off. And they show up, and something weird happens. They hear this, this evangelist start preaching, and Robert Robinson starts hearing it, and he starts to be like, oh, this makes sense. And all of a sudden, through this evangelist, George Whitefield, he becomes saved. And three years later, he's accepted Jesus, he becomes a pastor, and he writes this hymn at 22 years old. His path led him here, and his path was far from over. And in this song, we see really three steps. Three steps that I believe if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, three steps that we all go through at times. The first one, and the first verse really says it this way, discovering. The step of discovering. Here's, here's what the verse says. I'm going to read to you. I'll be up on the screen as well. Uh, we already sang it, but here's what it says. He wrote, Come thou fount of every blessing, as in the source of every good thing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Guide my heart. Help my heart to continually sing to grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. If there's anyone that understands streams of mercy, it's somebody that was in a gang. That's who he was. He understands streams of mercy. 
Then he says, teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. A sonnet is a poetic writing that's a lot of times written about love. And then it says flaming tongues, as in, in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost. So what he's really saying here is, teach me to cry out with love to you from the spirit within me. It says, praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of God's unchanged love. This is the lyric Frank talked about. The holy God who loves me the same, whose love for me never changes. For those of you that have been married for a while, do you remember that young love when you first started dating and you first got married? I know right I said that, I sound really old saying, you remember young love? Um, but I've been married for 10 years, and I was thinking about it this week, my, my wife, I was thinking about how we started when we first started dating and got engaged, and um, how things have changed so much in 10 years, how that love has changed. Here's some things I noticed. I always wanted to be around her, and she always wanted to be around me when we were young. Now that we're older, she's very okay with me going somewhere else at times. There are times where I will walk in. It was a cabin a while ago. It was one of our guys' men's accountability group. And I came home. I didn't think I came home early. I came home like 9, 30, 10. And she was set up. She had her book. She was ready to go. And I walked in, and she went, why are you home? And I was like, I'm sorry. She's like, okay, well, um, um, I'm going to make doing my own thing. I was like, all right, I'll go play video games. I won't talk to you the rest of the night. I'm sorry. She wanted to have her own time. Back when we were young, it's like everything we would need to do it all together, but it's changed. Um, back when we were young, whatever she liked, I tried to like. And whatever I tried to like, she would like. So she went to a lot of shows that she hated. She would watch Ravens games with me, which wasn't fun for me either because she wanted to like cuddle during the game. And I'm stressed. I'm like, please, don't touch me. I need to watch this game. And she was like really big into snowboarding, and I, I will ski, and I'm okay at it, but I didn't love it. But she loved it, so I would go every Friday night when we were young, before we had kids, we would go and go snowboarding because we thought, hey, we got to do the same thing. When we first discovered that love for each other, it was magical, it was amazing. I remember thinking, it can't get any better than this. This is the best it can be. But anyone can be a good spouse or a good partner in that discovery stage, when you're discovering that love. But it's when you hit year four, five, 10, 15, 20 years, when those butterfly feelings are gone and all you have left is that old love. Some people don't last in that old love. They just always want that new love. They think, well, I don't have that feelings anymore, so maybe it's because I don't love them anymore. Maybe I gotta find the next one, and eventually that fades. But if you embrace that old love, it's a better type of love. It is a love that chooses the other even when it takes work and effort and when the feelings aren't there. It is a love that is, depend, that is not dependent on the other person for our satisfaction, but simply chooses the other person. Robert, in this verse 1, is discovering his love for Christ. He's singing melodious sonnets. He's fixing his eyes on the mount. Streams of mercy never ending. His path is leading to that discovery of Christ, but that's not where it stops. Verse 2, remembering. It's all about remembering. We've sung this song a lot of times. And I get this question a lot, and we got this question earlier today. There's a verse that says, my Ebenezer. And a lot of people go, what is an Ebenezer? Never heard of that word before. An Ebenezer is a combination of two Hebrew words. Eben, which is stone, and Ezer, which is help. And so it's a monument that is put up to remember the help and presence of God. And we find this in 1 Samuel. We see an Ebenezer. And in the Old Testament, whenever the Israelites would obey God, they would win battles. Uh, that's how it always seemed to happen because they were never the strongest army or the biggest army. But they would win battles when they were obedient. 
when they were disobedient, God would be like, all right, good luck with your next battle. They would lose. That's what always tended to happen. When they're disobedient, they would lose battles because they needed God to win. When they were obedient, they would win those battles. So in Samuel chapter 1, we see an Ebenezer because they go to a battle against the Philistines who are way more powerful, and they win solely because they follow God. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. This is a way for the Israelites, the, the next generation, the generation after that, to see this Ebenezer, this stone, and say, I remember when my father or my grandfather or my grandmother, I remember when they told me about the battle that they won because of God. It's an Ebenezer. Um, I'm not a hiker, which is not my thing. My wife, I don't think she likes hiking. I think she likes to make me go hiking because she knows I hate it. So every once in a while we'll do that. And I'm not a big hiker. I've, I've, did, I've hiked a little bit with, with my wife because I love her, but that was my young love. I don't do it old love anymore. We don't need to do the same things anymore. That's what I already talked about. So she hikes by herself. But I've also gone like, on hiking trips for some reason. And um, one time I hiked and I learned about this thing. It was called a Karen. And here's actually a picture of what it looks like. Karens are small piles of stones that are stacked together. They are used to show hikers the correct way to proceed along the path. So if the path isn't clear, you see those, and now you know where to go. Or if you get a little lost, you see those, you know how to get back. They're called Karens. Because life is a path. This means every decision we make either leads us towards the direction we want to go, or the destination we want to go, or away from it. Every decision helps us grow closer to God, takes us further away. And when we understand that, we understand that every decision we have has a lasting impact. We understand the importance of an Ebenezer. Because sometimes we go down a path that we thought was getting us in the right direction. It's all of a sudden we, re we realize, oh no, I'm lost. I don't know how I got here, but I'm lost. What are your Ebenezers? Your Karens that you set up along the path that it, you know if you get lost, you can make your way back. What are those? Maybe it's a relationship that changed everything for you. It's a relationship that just changed your perspective. Maybe it's a church or a place that you felt God in a real way. Maybe it's a, it's a blessing that you knew only came from God. We heard some stories of different Ebenezers that people talked about, different things that led them down this path. When you feel God enter your story, then raise up an Ebenezer. And you may think, well, I don't need it now because I, I believe I'm on the right path. But here's what I've learned. No one knows when they're getting lost. You only know when you're lost, Right? If you knew you were getting lost, okay, here's the time I get lost, then you just wouldn't go that way. All of a sudden you go and you go, oh no, I'm lost. I don't know where I got lost. When we raise up our Ebenezers, when we put it up our Karens, then when we are lost, all we have to do is simply turn around and find where God was before. Sometimes we find our way back, the right path through our Ebenezers. Sometimes we need a person to point us back. Sometimes we find our way back from somebody else's Ebenezer. And that's why Robert Robinson wrote this in verse 2. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Here's what's amazing about the God that we serve. No matter how far down the path we go in the wrong direction, the second you turn around, you're back on the right direction. You don't have to make your way all the way back to the path that he had planned out for you. All you have to do is turn around. 
So we believe we, have, we serve a God who follows us along the path, continually calls us back. Nope, this way, this way. So once we turn around, we are back. It's the God we serve. But then in verse 3, he talks about this, returning, returning. There's a line in this verse that connects with me so deeply. We'll get to it. It starts with this. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. When you understand grace, when you truly understand it, that you realize that there's a debt that you earned that you can never pay, that I earned that I can never pay. And you understand that since we can never pay it back, when we understand that somebody does pay it back for us, then we, the only logical thing to do next is surrender because he paid it all for us. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, now like a fetter, most of you don't know what that is, and I didn't either because I'm not that smart. So I had to look it up. Google told me that a fetter is a chain that keeps a prisoner, that holds somebody back. So let thy grace, now like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Connect me to you. Chain me to you. Why? Because he says why he needs that in the next verse. Here's the, ver- here's the thing that sticks to me, that connects with me really well. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Just chain my heart to you. Don't let me leave you because I love you, but I know myself and I'm prone to leave. I'm prone to wander from the one that I truly love. I get this feeling. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't feel prone to wander at times. There are times where I find myself just consuming the wrong things and it makes it where I'm just prone to wander. I feel so distant from God. There are times where my faith feels numb. Like I start to think, Am I, do I only have this faith because at this point I'm a pastor and I have to get a whole other career or do I actually really live this out? At times I feel that. There are times where I know I believe God, but I don't know if I believe God. Does that make sense? Like in, there's an example in the Gospels where Centurion says to Jesus, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And man, if that's, that's my prayer. God, I believe, help my unbelief. For the times I don't. And I don't think this is just a me thing. I think that a lot of us are prone to wander because the path of righteousness and the path that Jesus calls us to live on, sometimes it's not so fun. Because it's saying, hey, this is the path we're going, and this path is going to lead you to die to yourself and put everyone else's needs above you at all times. And what I always want to do is do whatever I want to do. So when that path shows up, I'm like, oh, that's a lot more fun, and that looks a lot more interesting. Because sometimes sin is way more fun. And if you say it's not, that makes sense, and you're not doing it right. At times, you see that path. You're like, man, I'm prone to want. I, I love you, but I'm prone to wander, so chain me to you, what he says. And what's interesting about Robert Robinson is this is exactly what happens to him. He wanders. The, the story goes, I'm not sure if this is a legend at this point, but I've looked it up many different places, and everyone tells the story of Robert Robinson. Later in life, he wandered from his faith. He was a pastor, and he eventually went from one denomination to another. Then he became a Unitarian, which denies the full divinity of Christ, and then eventually he got to a point where he didn't believe anymore. He was an older man who didn't believe anymore, and he's riding in a uh, stage car, and he's there, and there's somebody else sitting there reading a book. She's reading a hymn book. And she starts humming the song that she's reading, not knowing who's in there with him, with her. And she starts humming this song, Come Thou Found. And she says to a stranger to her and says, hey, have you ever heard this song, Come Thou Found? And here's his reply. Here's what's quoted in, in history. Here's how Robert Robinson, the author of Come Thou Found, says to this, this woman. Madam, 
I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds, if I had them, to enjoy the feelings I had then. Man, I understand that feeling. This encounter actually begins Robert Robinson's journey back to faith, that God used his own words that he wrote many years ago to bring him back to that God with the streams of mercy that he needed, which is why I love how this song ends. The song ends not with verse 3, but it goes right back to verse 1. Because that's what life is, really, isn't it? We start with our discovery, discover the God and the love that we have. Then we remember, we're living in our faith, we remember who he is, and then even though we wander, we return, and when we we return, we rediscover that love all over again. This reminds me of a parable that Jesus gave. This will be the last thing, and then the worship team, you can start making your way up. Jesus is talking to tax collectors and and sinners, and he says this very popular parable, my favorite parable it's ever written. Here's what he, Jesus says. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I don't know where you are in your journey. Some of you are in that first verse, that discovery. You're that sheep that wandered off. We serve a God who leaves the 99 to desperately find you. You go, well, you don't know my story. doesn't matter. He does, and he's still coming after you. Whatever path you've been walking down, he's behind you saying, just simply turn around and I'll take you the rest of the way. Some of you are in that discovery period. Some of you, you have faith and you're in that memory, that remember time. You have that faith. Now is your time to set up those Ebenezers. Now is your time to set up those Karens that when you walk along the path, you say, I remember when God was here for me. This day, I remember when God spoke to me the sermon. This day, I remember when God did it. This day, you reflect on those Ebenezers along the the path and some of you have wandered and you need to return you need to turn around because when you do you will rediscover the streams of mercy that are never ceasing that are poured out for you and for me so as we close today I'm going to ask everyone to stand we're going to sing this song again and whatever stage you're in verse 1, verse 2, verse 3 This is your opportunity. Whatever path you're going down, this is your opportunity to go down the path that he's called for you. Let's sing this song together.